Thank you, band. Good morning, church. My name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor here, and I'm grateful to do so. Um, I want you to know uh, on behalf of your church staff that your church staff loves uh, free food. <laughs> some of you know this, some of you do not. We, you know, we benefit quite a bit from various uh, groups in the church. We often get leftovers from community groups hanging around in the, the church office kitchen. Um, we get all kinds of good stuff. Uh, we get bribes from potential church members from time to time. <clears throat> Noreen Crowley. Uh, this past week, uh, Kathy, she was doing some homework for the ladies' outing, which she spoke about at the start of the service, and so she went down to the new Italian bakery in town, and she got a bunch of samplers, and she brought that back to the church office, and it was, it was our burden to work through the, the cannolis and the Italian cookies and the cheesecake bombs, which apparently are little cheesecakes wrapped in a chocolate shell. Uh, they were quite fantastic. So, you know, we all hit that pretty hard. I took a couple pieces back to my office. I went back down to the kitchen like 20 minutes later, nothing but crumbs and half a cannoli shell with the filling sucked out. <laughs> I don't know who did that. We have our suspicions. Um, now, you contrast that image with... Uh, Think about like an, an ICU waiting room, which some of you have spent time in, and certainly I have spent plenty of time in, and the, the atmosphere there is very, very different. If there's food sitting on the table in the ICU waiting room with families scattered around, it's, it's been maybe picked at, but largely ignored. Um, maybe there's a, a carafe of coffee sitting on the table. It was brewed hours ago, it looks like, but it's barely been touched. Um, someone offers to make a donut run, but there's very little interest. And as you glance around the room at the silent faces, you think, well, this is really quite normal for a circumstance like this. Why is that? Well, someone said it like this. The possibility of death has a striking impact on the routines of life. The possibility of death has a striking impact on the routines of life. And with that, I want to invite you to take your Bibles, open up to the book of Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, this is page 936 in your um, black Bibles, if you're using the one in the pew. Um, if you're joining us for the first time today, you'll be helped to know we're working through uh, and have been for some time now the book of Acts, which is all about the birth of the New Testament church and its explosion and growth. Um, this is where we left off. The Apostle Paul, with a couple of his companions, are prisoners of the state. They are being transferred by sea to Rome. Uh, along the way, an enormous storm rolls in. The waves go huge. The, even the stars themselves disappear for many, many days because of the storm. Uh, verse 20. Um, and if you and I could have looked into the portholes of that ship that's now just being tossed across the Mediterranean, we, what we would have seen is an increasingly gaunt audience. Because, uh, just like our friends in the ICU waiting room, the folks on that ship, 
they weren't eating at all. Um, they had not eaten in quite some time. It says that they had lost their cargo in verse 18. They lost their equipment in verse 19. They lost their hope in verse 20. And they lost their appetite in verse 21. And then, on the 14th night of this incredible storm, this northeaster, or Euroclidon, this storm, on the 14th night, something changed. And that's where we're going to step back into the narrative for this morning. So Acts 27, beginning at verse 27, and I remind you that this now is the very word of our Lord. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were, all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump over, overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So if you're a passenger on this Alexandrian grain ship, think 140 feet long, big, fat, doesn't navigate waves very well, primarily one giant center square sail. Um, if you're a passenger on this ship and you somehow were able to befriend one of the sailors who is on board this ship, one of the crew, he might say to you somewhere around this point in the narrative, hey, you want the good news 
or the bad news first? By the way, what is the correct answer to that question? Bad news first. Always the bad news first. Uh, In this case, uh, the bad news is that given the storm, the chances of us being smashed to pieces along the shoreline and summarily drowning are quite high at this point. Well, what's the good news? I think we're close to land. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't much, but to a trained ear, it was long about verse 27, if you're keeping your Bibles open, and I encourage you to do so, uh, the, the tone on the water, I think, is what changed. Because no longer is it just the sound of the surf, but now there's that very, very faint sound of water breaking on the shore. In the ESV, if that's what you're reading from, it says the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So if you've got a pen and you like to keep notes, the first header that I wrote down in my notes is nearing land. To try and chart a course through the text here, nearing land. And that's indeed what they were doing. Um, They took soundings, think long rope, knots along the way, big heavy weighted lead um, weight at the end of that. They let it down um, and they determined that the depth beneath the ship was quickly decreasing. Uh, Remember, ancient measurements were almost always in reference to the human body. So you think um, when we read about a span, that's like the distance from your pinky tip to your thumb tip. Um, When we read about a cubit, uh, that's the distance from your elbow up to the top of your fingers. When we read about a fathom, you open up your arms and roughly the distance from one hand to the other, like five, six feet or so, that's a fathom. So apparently they took the you know, soundings here and the first sounding, they're at 120 feet. Second sounding, they're at 90 feet. That's not good. <laughs> they're, they're very concerned because they don't have really control of the ship. And they're very concerned at this point about being dashed upon the rocks. So verse 29, they let down four anchors and prayed for day to come. <laughs> Notice no one's an atheist at this point in the story. Everyone's praying. God, just bring the daylight here. Um, anchors get thrown off the back of the ship. They, they at least try and slow the drift of the boat. Circumstances here are now quite bleak. It's pitch black. The storm is blowing. Um, rocky shores ahead. Whenever you find that the crew is trying to abandon the ship themselves, that's not ever a good sign. Uh, verse 30, the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea. So that's the skiff. Uh, they would either uh, hold on the side of the boat or they'd trail behind. That's like the only lifeboat, you know. And so now, Paul says to the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, because he's in their custody, hey, if all of you soldiers let the sailors abandon ship, y'all are going to (laughs) die. Which is interesting, right? Because it kind of sets up this fascinating interplay between earlier in the text, verse 24, we looked at last week, this promise that you all, are, you all are going to survive, God said. But now, verse 31, still this need for action. And for those of you who are a little more theologically minded, you immediately recognize what's going on there. This, that's the, the interplay, that's the tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Set up right there in the text. And so the soldiers have to cut the lifeboat away and just let that go just to keep everybody on board the ship. Okay? That's the scene. 
Nearing land? Yes. Safe yet? Absolutely not. Nearing land, second point, eating breakfast. (laughs) Eating breakfast. And we hit the pause button on this and we go back to the ICU waiting room for a minute. Now it's the morning. You're still there. Your loved one is still in critical condition. Their life is very much hanging by a thread. And now sometime around 7, 7.30, the bald pastor walks in and he says, hey, what do you say we go to the cafeteria for some bacon and eggs? What kind of response is the pastor going to get in that moment? So here's where we're at. The only thing that is, is at all keeping these folks from being dashed against the rocks that they cannot even see yet is four anchors hanging off the stern. Emotions are raw. Patience is frayed. The wind continues. The surf is louder now, pounding the shore that they're closer to. The ship continues to rise and fall on uncertain mooring. The prevailing notion above deck and below is, yeah, we're goners. We're done. And then once again, we find this Christian named Paul stepping forward. What is it with this guy? You know, earlier in the voyage, he stood up in front of everybody and he said to them that God had promised that none of them would drown. And now, two weeks later, he's still saying the same stuff. I mean, it's it's true, no one had drowned yet, but goodness, why does he talk this way? Why does, he, why does he speak with such confidence? And of course, the answer is this, that Paul doesn't believe he can control the weather, but he knows the one who does. Isaiah 26, oh God, you will keep in perfect peace he who trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. So can you picture this in your mind's eye? Amidst all the the unbelieving sailors and the the pagan uh, soldiers and the forlorn prisoners, Paul says, guys, you want something to eat? (laughs) I really think you should have something to eat. Listen, Medway Community Church, whatever storm you might be going through right now. Can I just say to you, do not fear. Do not despair. Have some pancakes. <laughs> Have an omelet. Make it a three-egger, perhaps. Here's what I mean. In times of great difficulty, sometimes the best thing that we can do is the next thing, whatever it may be. In times of great heartache and pain and suffering, do the next thing while clinging to the promises of God. His love in time past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. Be gone, unbelief. My Savior will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. The hymn writer's theology is right. Christ, he was not absent from this storm. By his spirit, 
The Lord is he's there. He's in the storm. He's on the ship. See, everybody on that ship, excuse me, everybody on the ship knew that Paul worshipped a dead man named Jesus. That's why he was in chains. So, for Paul, what does it mean to live on mission in that context? Well, it might not be immediately clear, especially if you've never been in chains aboard a ship in a storm on the Mediterranean at the hands of Roman soldiers. But apparently what Paul determined it meant to live on mission in that context was to recognize that all the pagans were curious to see what a Christian does in the midst of a storm. So with the, pain, the, the, the rain pouring down and the wind whipping at his face, Paul breaks bread. Verse 35, he gives thanks to God and he starts to eat. Verse 36, then they were all encouraged and they ate some food themselves. I mean, it's such a mundane little part of the story there. But please don't miss it. This is a wonderful illustration of trusting God for the future while thanking God for the present. Even when the present is filled with storm. Um, a woman named Faye Inchfon, uh, writing from the perspective of the every mom, um, she, I think, very helpfully puts into verse what ordinary Christian faith looks like. Maybe not so much in the hurricanes and the typhoons of life, but just the, the average rainstorm. Sometimes when everything goes wrong, when days are short and nights are long, when wash day brings so <coughs> when wash day brings so dull a sky that not a single thing will dry, when friends deplore my faded youth, and when the baby cuts a tooth, John the baby last but one clings round my skirts till day is done, and friend, good-tempered Jane is glum, the butcher's man forgets to come. Sometimes, I say on days like these, not on some sunny day of ease, I get a sudden gleam of bliss, because Christ will come on a day like this. And that's exactly right, isn't it? You know, a, a Christian mom having a rough couple days. The Apostle Paul having a, a rough couple years. <laughs> they're, they're both striving to do the same thing here. To live out good theology. Not learn good theology. By and large, we learn good theology on the days of sunshine in the CE classes, and in the sermons, and in our prayer closets. That's when we want to learn theology. But we live our theology when the storm comes down. You want to know what a man really believes? Watch him when it rains. Watch him when the, when the waitress is just awful. 
Watch them when the car won't start. Watch them when the, the layoffs do. You want to know what a man really believes. Watch them when it rains. You look at Paul here. I mean, it says the storm had blotted out the sun. It says that it had completely hidden the stars, yet God had promised that they would survive, and Paul's theology tells him that the stars themselves will fall before the promises of God will fail. Do you know that, Christian? The stars themselves will fall before the promises of God will fail. Which is the truth that then allows Christians in the day today, Monday through Saturday, to live in a really weird way where we thank God for our unemployment, where we, we rejoice in our cancer, where we trust even in our death. Because when we do, the world will glance up for that and it will taste like salt and it will look like light for some. Let your light shine before men, Jesus said, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Hashtag living on mission. Listen, I'm neither a sadist nor a masochist. I don't want you folks to suffer, and I certainly don't want to suffer, but we live in a broken world, and so when suffering comes to your household, and it will, can we prepare now to say then, far better to be with God in the midst of danger than to be without God in an apparent safety. Paul knew this. He knew it when they were nearing land. He knew it when they were eating breakfast. And he knew it when they were swimming ashore. That's the last header, swimming ashore. Um, it's the final set of verses there, beginning at verse 39 or so, which kind of, re I mean, it's almost like an afterthought to this entire narrative that we just spent two weeks on. I mean, God, God had told Paul that they would all be saved. So, of course, they are. That should not surprise us. You think about it. If you pay a lot of money for something, well, you don't, you don't carelessly toss it into a drawer and forget about it, do you? You put it in a very special place and you check upon it often. I remember when I bought Sarah's engagement ring years and years ago. And if you look at it today, it's roughly the size of three carbon molecules. <laughs> and I was a seminary student and it felt like a fortune to me. And I, just, I, kept, I kept thinking about the day that I was going to give it to her. And every day between the day that I bought it and the day that I was going to give it to her, I would go after classes, I'd go up to my room, and I'd take it out of my drawer where I had it carefully stuffed behind some stuff, and I'd just look at it, and I'd put it away. The next day I'd go back and I'd just look at it, and I'd put it away. Yeah. Something's very important and very costly. You put it in a very special place, and you check upon it often. Well, how much more then that, that this God who purchased Paul with the very blood of his own son, that this God who purchased you and me with the very blood of his own son, how much more 
will he keep us safe until the end and then forevermore? Listen, the, the, the very stars themselves will fall before the promises of God will fail. Back in Macedonia, you'd have to turn all the way back to chapter 19. God had promised Paul, he said, you're going to go to Rome. And then in a jail cell, it was back in chapter 23, Paul had said to, God had said to Paul, you're going to go to Rome. And then in this very chapter, on the ship, earlier up in the text from last week, God had said to Paul, you're going to get to Rome. So it shouldn't surprise us one bit that the very last line of the story reads, and so it was, that all were brought safely to land. This is the traditional spot where it all went down. It's called uh, St. Paul's Bay. It's on the north side of Malta. You know, these tourist spots, I never know whether they're genuine or not, but that's the, um, for well over a thousand years, that's been considered the spot where Paul uh, made landfall. Um, you can, I don't think you look that good on that day, but you can picture it in your mind, 276 heads bobbing in the ocean. Luke, you all right? <laughs> I'm okay, Paul. Where's Aristarchus? I'm here. I'm fine. I'm holding my little piece of wood. A few had swum on ahead because they knew how to swim. The rest, they're just clinging to bits of whatever, floating to shore there. And now you can see them in your head soaking and shivering and rejoicing and laughing and praying. 276 souls hit the shoreline and not one of them was lost just as God promised it would be. Listen, that's what this narrative is about. I think when you dig into these 44 verses, you can find all kinds of themes and sub-themes to be sure. It's always that way with Scripture. But this is what this narrative is all about. The surety of God's promise. This text, just like this table, proclaims the stars themselves will fall before the promises of God will fail. And so you pull out of the first century and you drop back down into the 21st century and we go back to that ICU waiting room and the doctor is just leaving because you just got word that your loved one who loved Jesus didn't pull through. And you look around that room and some of you have done exactly this, haven't you? And what do you see? Tears, mourning, grief. But you keep looking. And among the Christians in the room, something else. A smile. Something in the eyes. Confidence. That it's often when the waves are highest that God's grace is made most evident to us. And so we sit there with tears in our eyes. We sit in the storm, whatever it may be. And we think to ourselves, all right, but the stars themselves will fall before the promises of God will fail. Thank you for joining us for today's message. 
Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shit.